Oh, welcome everybody to the Sports Predictor Podcast. I'm your host, Al Walsh. We're brought to you by SportsPredictor.com, where professional bettors share their best plays. Get the winning edge by subscribing to the Sports Picks packages from long-term winning bettors. Once again, SportsPredictor.com. Also, make sure you give us a follow on Twitter, at PredictorHQ. Once again, on Twitter, at PredictorHQ. On our uh, episode today, we've got Stephen Rothwell, who is a professional sports better and also uh, has a nice little startup going on over there at Microbook Technologies. So, Stephen, first of all, thanks for joining us. And, um, you know, can you, I guess, describe your background in sports betting and, uh, you know, your approach when doing so? Sure. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess you can kind of say I just kind of fell into sports betting. I, I started out in the physics business being an applied mathematician. So, it's kind of simulating things in C++, like quantum algorithms on big NMR magnets and kind of doing these huge supercomputer simulations for like chemical energy surfaces and stuff. So I guess you can say I was pretty numerate. And honestly, I thought I'd just be a scientist for the rest of my natural life. But then I kind of bet on Proline one night. I was with a friend who was a big better, and uh, I think we were drinking that night. And he just said, yeah, kind of, you know, fill out a ticket. So I did. I think I filled out like a 17 parlay and then I woke up the next morning and I won like 600 bucks and, wow. and that was that was it. I was just addicted. And pretty much from that day, I started coding up baseball simulations from that day on. Uh, I guess fast forward a few years and I started a machine learning company uh, in sports betting called SteamSharp. And I raised some venture capital money, like about 600K or so with a guy named Bernie Melanson. And uh, keep in mind, that was before we had all these cool ideas like deep learning or ensemble learning. You might have heard of these things. Um, basically, I was trying to make some fast and clean predictive tech on GPUs. But it kind of wasn't quite time. It was about 2010. It wasn't quite time yet for machine learning in the sports betting business. So the company ended up pivoting. And eventually, uh, we exited via a merger with the second screen uh, betting company, second screen sports betting um, in the UK. So kind of fast forward again, it's about 2015, and I, I just had my first bankroll just from the selling of the shares of that business. And I guess in that five years where I was trying to build models in machine learning, I learned a lot about the pitfalls of modeling. And you kind of have to remember maybe 10 years ago, computing power was like an order of magnitude slower than, and kind of the modern machine learning that we take for granted now was still kind of in the nascent stages. So kind of where I was at modeling in about 2015 and about that time, it kind of seemed no matter how clever I was in building a model, and I thought I built a lot of clever models, uh, it would just eventually go through this phase, this horrible phase of variance, and you would lose, I would lose money. And I hadn't yet kind of developed the stoicism required to bet professionally, like you have to be pretty stoic. And kind of at that time, I bought around 200 Bitcoin <laughs> at $300 uh, at that time. I didn't even know what it was because one of the guys I hired at SteamSharp uh, goes by the name of Martin Bailey. He was a miner and a GPU expert. And I kind of hired him at SteamSharp to do the GPU stuff. And he kind of showed me this cool betting site called Nitrogen Sports. And, and that was it. Right. From that time on, I was a crypto better. I, could, I couldn't believe it. I could get my money in and out of that site in like half an hour. And that was just amazing to me. It just blew my mind. And I had all this Bitcoin I bought just because this guy told me to, and, and that was it. Wow. So I was just betting Bitcoin. And I wanted to kind of better understand the problem of reducing variance in my predictions. So like I said, you know, no matter how clever I was, I, I just couldn't find a model that would be consistent. And I burnt a lot of money at what I call the altar of Pinnacle. <laughs> yeah. So they, they got me for a lot. And 
I guess uh, at that time, I started a service called Saber Cruncher, which gave away free data to a small gang of uh, cool cats. And I began developing an approach which used the results of uh, the Kaggle Netflix challenge. I don't know if you heard of that before. No, I have not. Okay, so that was cool. It was uh, Netflix had this little challenge where they challenged machine learning teams, academics, PhDs, to kind of come up with the best model for predicting. Okay. And kind of what they found, the results, the famous results in machine learning of that project was that an ensemble of weak predictors is almost always a stronger predictor than any individual model alone. So these guys kind of figured it out. They said, oh, you know, I'll combine my number two model with number one. And then those combined with number three. And then when they combined all those models, um, it was unbeatable. And that's kind of um, kind of the idea that I had. So when I started doing that, I just started winning a lot of money uh, at last. It just kind of made sense. And Bitcoin kind of rose to like a thousand bucks at that time. So times were good. <laughs> yeah. So you did, you mentioned two things, you know, within that answer that, you know, we're probably going to be talking about the entirety of the time with machine learning and then, you know, uh, Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. Let's, uh, let's touch on the machine learning first. Um, you know, I figure, you know, look, I, I've been, you know, more involved with, I guess, machine learning companies and I guess machine learning sorts of, I guess, actions over the last couple months. I find it so fascinating that, you know, you can mm -hmm. build trends off of this stuff. But the one thing that I know, you know, it's not going to take every single thing to account, like injuries or coaching changes or, you know, some, something of that nature. How, how does machine learning get better on those things or is it even possible? Yeah, that's a, actually a great question. And it's a very interesting thought. And it makes sense on the front of it, right? There's some data. So machine learning takes data features and gives you an output, right? So it's only as good as the inputs you put in or the features, we call them. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense that, you know, there are some things like injuries, um, maybe coaching decisions, like you said, that, that can't be uh, quantified, basically. Yeah. But I'd say it's actually unimportant with respect to machine learning. And here's why. Okay. Um, for large-scale bettors who can't code at scale, um, these non-zero probabilities of injury and coaching error are like a problem because they're trying to build a single model that is hopefully in the long tail of total possible optimization. So there's many, many models you can build. So when you build a single one, you, you're hoping that you're in the long tail of successful models, which is very long. <laughs> and uh, there are uncountably many models. So kind of the hobbyists are, are building models that are sensitive to initial conditions. And the data features that they use as inputs to this solver uh, have a lot of variance and bias embedded in it. It's just a single model, right? However, when you scale up your machine learning approach and you build an ensemble of models, say 100,000 machine learning models, each one of them looking at different data, uh, different slices of the data, uh, what actually happens is that uh, you have the same data as every other human better, and you're kind of pitting 100,000 spun up models versus 100,000 real betters. That's kind of what the pinnacle line is, right? It's just a bunch of models that are bagged together, and uh, that's what pinnacle does. It's a great model. So you can just kind of imagine you're pitting these little machine learning agents against humans, and they just kind of optimize a little bit better than humans do. So I'd say that um, those problems of kind of unquantifiable data are only a problem if you're not doing modeling at scale. That is spinning up many, many, many models. Uh, what ends up happening is the underlying externalities in the data are unimportant because you actually want to use the same data the betters use. Mm -hmm. The goal of the large scale machine learning is to detect the effect of bias in the line, okay. uh, which I would argue is probably caused by completely ignoring the very factors you pointed out. <laughs> that, that would be my 
uh, answer to that, I guess. So, you know, again, with that, sure, there's going to be things that I guess quote, now, you know, now after the way that you put it, I'm going to say missed, I guess, in italics. But, um, you know, sports books can always miss some things. Do you feel like the public is good at, at picking up on things that they might not be missing? Or do the sports books pretty much have it down pat? Like, this is the way that it's done. Yeah, I got you. That's actually a great question. Um, so that's a two two things. So one side on the machine learning, one side on the book. Um, so yeah, things could be missed in machine learning uh, a lot. Uh, so people who are building models, so especially if you aren't trained and you, and you haven't put the time into a PhD or worked on any really, really hard problems like at Amazon or Google or something, mm -hmm. uh, you're probably missing a lot because you're not working with people who are deeply skilled and you're just trying to build a model in, in Python or something. And uh, yeah, man, you're going to miss a lot of things because there's a lot of mistakes and a lot of betters don't know how to code and you're going to screw up and, and write the wrong thing and not even catch the bug. So you got to be really meticulous. So I would say that modelers miss a lot. Uh, they're highly biased uh, because they're just not good at probably coding. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, on the other side, sports books miss things too, like you said. Um, they don't really miss too much um, in terms of variance because of the high volume, low margin model um, of Pinnacle. They don't really need to catch anything, which is kind of cool. They don't have to do anything because they know they are bagging together weighted models and they can kind of check the accuracy of your model by profiling you. Uh, they just look in their database. Oh, yeah, this guy's this much accurate and this is what he bets. So they really already bagged together many, many thousands of models. And, and it has an effect of reducing the variance and bias in their line. I guess you would call that the closing line, right? As you get yeah. get more efficient as you get to the end. That's just reduction of variance because you have tens of thousands of models betting into that market and kind of building a rational line. So you, you're not missing, they're not missing much there, but what they are missing is that bias gets introduced into the line. So each little each little human being making their little model might might have a little bit of bias, like they weight one attribute more. And that bias kind of adds up over time, especially since, of course, many people just follow touts and they just say, yeah, just I'll bet that number that they put out there from this inefficient model. So you have this multiplication effect of the bias and that actually increases and is harder to move as you reach the closing line. So I'd say that the sports books actually do miss bias. It's a big problem. And if you can detect the bias in the line, accurately and quantify it, um, you're definitely going to learn how to make a lot of money, I think, in sports betting. Nice. Uh, well, learn from the machine learning, folks. All right. Yeah. So now you did bring up uh, Bitcoin slash your know, cryptocurrency. This is something that I have no idea about. So I know, you know, I guess my whole group of friends, kind of the same thing. I, I have one friend who like absolutely makes a crushing on the stuff. Still have no idea how he does it. So how, like, what's the whole idea of cryptocurrency and how does it, I guess, work in the everyday world? Okay, this might be a bit technical, the answer, but I'll try to keep it short. I actually wrote it out, so I'll All just right. read it because <laughs> it, it can be a bit tricky, right, explaining yeah. what blockchain is, but I'll try my best. So I guess cryptocurrency, it's crypto, cryptographically secure currency. So to answer that question, what is crypto and what's the currency part of it? So to say, what does crypto mean? You have to kind of explain what the blockchain is. And I'll try my best here, I guess. Uh, I guess the blockchain is just a, a slow and expensive distributed database. Very slow, very inefficient, very expensive. It, it consists of a huge network of servers, just computers or virtual machines, which hold the blockchain data on it. 
uh, which can be anything. It can be um, anything you like, data, but it's mostly just transactions. And the blocks are nothing new or special. It's just a file on your computer. However, these files have a few special properties. So kind of the first property is that the blocks are sequentially connected. So that's the chain part of the blockchain. So each stored file on each computer is connected via an encrypted hash. And a hash for those listeners who aren't computer savvy is, you know, it's nothing complex. It's just turning a bunch of data, say a bunch of transactions, um, into a shorter unique string. And you might see that in like URL shorteners, like Bitly or something. Yep. You might have seen that before. Yep. So all you're doing is taking all this transaction data and bundling it up into a hash code and saying that's unique hash represents all those bets. And you kind of connect the files together into a big chain and encrypt the links. And you get a nice property that falls out called immutability. And what immutability means is you can't change the data once it's written into a block. Once it's in the file, that's it. And remember, altering a file would alert the next connected file, like they're all connected in a chain, that something is wrong. So the hashes are different, basically. So if you're a nefarious sports book and you wanted to change a winning bet, like a $200,000 bet, and you change the data in your file on your computer, the next block would have a different hash and it would say, there's a problem here. So blockchain is extremely secure and impossible to change or uh, the data is immutable, basically. Hmm. So basically, great. So you have a really big and slow, expensive set of files that are extremely hard to use, but they're chained up very nicely. <laughs> so in return, you get a really super quality out of it. And that's no central authority uh, controls that data because the data is highly distributed um, and is chained together by hashes. So nobody can change it. So that's kind of the crypto part. It's cryptographically secure. Um, and you don't know what the data is unless you have the key to unlock that. But what does the currency have to do with it? Well, it turns out the currency is just ones and zeros, right? If you consider the world's wealth, uh, about 99.999% of it is just digital. It's just ones and zeros. So if you put your wealth on the blockchain in the form of a hash code, like AKA a token, uh, some token like Bitcoin or Ethereum, and everyone agrees that the key to unlock that hash code and re-encrypt it in another block is worth some amount of American dollars. Well, voila, you have a currency, which is just arbitrary unit of ex exchange. And the currency is just a permission slip to create new data representing arbitrary exchanges of wealth. So that's what a blockchain is. It's okay. encrypted currency. <laughs> so, sorry, yeah. that's the simple as I can get. Nah, the, the TV show that I'm watching now, you know, like streaming or whatever, uh, Mr. Robot sounds... Sounds a lot like uh, the things going on there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. That, that was the thing I immediately took from it. I'm sure everyone else did too. But do you find <laughs> that uh, the betting and cryptocurrency will kind of be something that go hand in hand one day? Yeah, I'd say they already do in a lot of ways. You know? Really? Um, many bettors who are way more famous names than me in the Twitterverse are pretty sharp people. And they bought into crypto early. Um, they all talk about it. They probably all own some. So I'd say we're already pretty savvy as betters with the crypto markets, just as a group. We kind of know what it is. It's mostly through Nitro and CloudBet and all that stuff, uh, just different ways to get outs. We kind of learned what Bitcoin is. Yeah. If betters don't own any, they probably have surely heard of crypto by now. Um, and I guess, you know, we already have Augur. Have you heard of Augur before? I have not. Oh, yeah. Okay. I basically uh, Augur... know how to turn a computer on, type on it, and talk on it. And that's better. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. Uh, I'll explain it to you. Uh, so Augur is actually a blockchain. It's one of those blockchains I was talking about. And it was designed by a guy named Zach Hess, who um, kind of built it all out with a team. And 
that blockchain facilitates sports bets. Uh, it's an exchange on this big, slow, expensive distributed database. So basically like Betfair. And you can back bets and lay bets through their uh, little currency. And then how you resolve those bets is you pay these little guys called oracles. You give them a little bit of the cryptocurrency. And then they give you data, just like Sports Radar gives um, a big betting book like Pinnacle data to resolve their bets. You, you get data from the blockchain. So they kind of built this way to basically eliminate the bookmaker and just let you match bets uh, on crypto. So Augur is already there and it kind of failed a little bit because it was really complex. It was kind of the first attempt at sports betting on the blockchain. It's still out there. You can still bet on it. Um, and that was kind of the first approach. And in a lot of ways, I kind of admired them for being the first people to try and do that. Um, but I think what they found out is the people who bought the tokens uh, didn't even use them. They just kind of held on to them so that they could make more money through speculation. Um, so they just really didn't succeed, I guess, at, build, at bringing the blockchain to people. Um, I guess Fans Unite, the company I used to work for, um, is actually trying to address that problem by actually partnering partnering with Sport Radar directly, uh, which is to Sport Radar's credit, it's good for betters. And I think that the idea there is that they're trying to make the oracles do their job, uh, basically provide data to people who want to bet on the blockchain so they could resolve their bets. Um, and it's a very smart solution, I think. And they're trying to actually build real life um, data data flow into the blockchain that they're creating, or they, I think they use Ethereum. Um, and so that's pretty cool. So there's kind of these attempts to bring blockchain to the sports betting space and interact with bookmakers. And it's coming along pretty nicely, but it's still in the nascent stages. Uh, for, for me personally, I think the future is what is most exciting. Um, Blockchain opens up the possibility of decentralizing sports books directly, uh, getting rid of them. And I think in five years, five years from now, I make this prediction that big bettors will just trade amongst each other using these little things called smart contracts, which are just little programs that can be put into a blockchain. So you can put a program on the blockchain because it's data, and then you can actually make bets on that program and you can get your money. There's no limits. You, you, you don't have any banning or anything like that. It's just this program that runs on a big distributed expensive database. All right. So I, I wrote it on my whiteboard five years from now. We'll see. Yeah, I, we'll see. I would predict that. Yeah, I, I would bet on that. I, I would think that that's a favorite in my All opinion. Right. <laughs> um, I think just to be clear what a smart contract is, like I said, it's just a program saved on a block and betters can execute that program and give it inputs to get a result, which is basically you give the score of the game and you get your money at the end of the bet. So um, at this current time, uh, I don't know if we gave these smart contracts out, nobody would know how to use them or build them, but I'm thinking it's coming along pretty soon. And you're going to see, uh, in five years, probably people spinning up little micro sports books, um, maybe single sports sports books on the blockchain and literally giving zero big bets out to get more volume. Cause I think that's the big problem in our space is that big bettors can't get down when they get banned. Yeah. Yeah. Unreal. Unreal. All right. Let's talk about um, your company there. Uh, Microbook Technologies sounds like an interesting concept. So what are, what exactly are you guys doing over there? Sure. No problems. Microbook is pretty simple. Um, so we're creating a set of smart contracts based in a programming language called Erlang, uh, which are controlled to be controlled by large bettors who want to take in zero big action. Um, so basically cutting out sports books altogether. Um, wouldn't it be nice, Alan, if we could just trade without a bookmaker fee at zero margin? That would be... <laughs> That'd be fantastic. That would be... I would love to bet without a VIG with you. That would be great. So the question is, how do we do that? 
I guess the value of bookmakers is they do things for us, but they charge us a margin on our bets to do it. But what do they actually do? So they manage the escrow and the storage and the ledger of your betting capital. But we have blockchain now, and so it's better in every way, um, except it's a little bit slower. So why do we let bookmakers charge us? Um, well, they provide odds, but we have machine learning now at scale, so we can do our own odds. We don't need the high volume, low margin model. Um, so there's all these things that bookmakers do that are just kind of getting eaten up as technology increases. Um, payments by the blockchain, machine learning for risk management. And you have these uh, cool languages like Erlang and Elm, which are fault tolerant. That is, once I deploy them, they don't crash ever. Um, so you can almost imagine now betters putting these little pieces together and starting to spin up their own personal branded sports books on Linux and just walking away from the industry altogether, which doesn't treat us sports betters very well, by the way. Um, I guess Microbook builds these systems with the intent of allowing large-scale betters to deploy these open-source open smart contracts. Mm. So we think we have some of the best machine learning approaches in the business, and we want to explore giving away these stacks to large-scale betters with the intent of starting a new network of uh, tiny margin commerce, uh, essentially walking away from the sports books because they don't take action and they ban everyone. They charge insane margins like in, in BC. BC, we get a 12% margin, if you can believe it, and 25% on in-play. <laughs> Jesus. 1.7, 1.7, not even a joke. So we want to walk away from them. Um, and they even slow pay and no pay us sometimes. Like you win 200K, William Hill would be like, nah, um, with no conscience. So uh, we build the technology to take back the VIG. And I think that is my... Uh, what my company does. Nice. Very nice. That That's awesome. Uh, so I, I did have the question for you, you know, if you could create the perfect sports book, you know, what would that look like and, and who would be the spokesperson? And I feel like, you know, the, the answer would be the exact same as, you know, the, to the last question that I had for you. So, mm -hmm. I mean, how do you, you know, how, how does this like get more into the, to the mainstream? How do more people find out about this? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Uh, because it does seem kind of like a, you know, like a, like a very unknown out there. You know, like this is the first that I'm really hearing about. So, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of other people out there that feel the same way. Yeah, I guess I guess I'm the martyr. <laughs> I'm the guy who screams on from the mountaintop on LinkedIn and says uncomfortable things like we don't need sports books. Uh, I really think I'm one of the first people to really do it because. Um, just working at Fans Unite with the wonderful CEO, Darius Igdami there, um, he, I learned a lot under that guy about how crypto works. And and maybe they're the third company ever to even explore that. And they're the only company who has ever tried to seriously build a blockchain solution. The other ones are not serious, like Wager or if you ever heard of it. Mm. Um, so I learned a lot there and kind of, um, I guess, how, how does it get adopted is the question. And... I don't know. I, I think you just have to build it. So, which is why I'm putting in a lot of my betting capital that I make. So I have a little hedge fund that I run. I guess you can call it a hedge fund or, or a bunch of money. <laughs> and I bet, and I use that money to build this open source software. And the idea is that you just put it out there and start using it. And my hope is that kind of bigger betters, like more well-known well betters, like maybe a Spanky or a Rufus Peabody, like these guys are famous. And uh, if they could look at that and take that up, these are the kind of guys you want to just start playing and experimenting with the code. So I'd say that's how you do it is you just go to the, the betters who are suffering the problems, uh, banning, limiting, uh, being treated badly. They, they whinge about it all the time on the podcasts. 
So you just want to go to those guys and say, hey, look, here's a solution. Costs you nothing. You can have the code and uh, spin it up and see how you like it. And if they start doing commerce on that independent network, be it in Bitcoin or Ethereum, that's that's when you start to have a moment, I think. So that's kind of what I'm working toward. Very nice. Very nice. All right. So I know kind of the uh, the last thing here. I know that you said that you're from Canada. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I played hockey for over 20 years. Got a lot of oh, good for you. Yeah. With, with you guys up there. But um, I found it pretty interesting because I heard you talking on another podcast and it sounded like it was very different from how things operate in the U.S. Number one, is that still the same? And, you know, two, if, if it is different, um, you know, can you just explain that for everybody? Yeah, I'd like to paint a positive picture, but uh, I don't think I can. <laughs> it's, it's pretty grim up here for betters. Um, and I'll tell you why. <clears throat> so like I said, I live in BC. So our, our local playnow.com offers like a stunning 12% pregame margin. And like I said, 25% on in-play bets. Yeah. Uh, and thank, that's thank you to Patty Power, by the way. Uh, I think it's gotten a little better now uh, as they kind of learned nobody was betting there. But yeah, you know, things... You, Things were much better around 2013 uh, when Betfair and Matchbook were still around. But because of our insane government, uh, they kind of exited the country because of uh, pending taxes and such. So there's nowhere for normies to get out in Canada aside from illegal. Well, not illegal. I shouldn't say illegal. Um, aside from sports books like Pinnacle, who are not government sanctioned sites. So you can go there. And, and bet there. But that's literally the only out you have in Canada now because all the betting companies left uh, because we have these pr provinces which control everything. So, uh, you know, it's pretty grim. Uh, the good thing, though, is that we have good crypto infrastructure in Canada. So we have crypto ATMs in most cities, and it's fairly simple to get going um, through some of our uh, banking infrastructure to put crypto in accounts and stuff. Um, I guess, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I just remember kind of what I had to do when Betfair and Matchbook left. I'd have to go to a Petro Canada station and you give them 250 cash for this little thing called a Zcash ticket. And then you would put the code into Pinnacle and then you would get $250. And that was the max you could do. So you'd take like 10K and you'd have to go to a bunch of Petro Can studios and then kind of buy all those tickets at 250 a shot and then put it all into Pinnacle, like 50 different passwords. And that's how painful it was to get money into accounts circa 2015 before I really got into crypto. Um, so that was the reality of Canada and Canadian banks actually ban transactions. So I, I'm with Bank of Montreal. I cannot deposit money on Pinnacle with yeah. my with my credit card, but uh, I could buy a pound of weed and a shotgun. No problems. Wow. You know, no problems. I could do that in Canada uh, at any local store. So it's pretty sad that that's the case. And God forbid that a Canadian gambler wants to get $100 down at 1.91. And that's pretty much how we roll in the north. That's the picture of Canada. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sorry. I want to be positive. But. No, no. Okay. Look, it sounds like you got solutions for all these different problems. So uh, definitely looking forward to the future with that. Once again, our guest today was Stephen Rothwell, a professional sports better, and uh, has a startup over there at Microbook Technologies, which – you know, um, you know, if you were listening earlier, well, you should be if you're listening at this point. But, uh, you know, this is this sounds like it's going to be a great thing for the future of sports betting. So uh, definitely looking forward to seeing that. Stephen, thank you for joining us. Uh, anything in closing before we head out of here? Um, yeah. And, uh, if I have one message to take away from this uh, would be get into crypto and learn about it. It is amazing and much better than fiat. Um, and thank you very much for having me on the show. Absolutely. Really appreciate it. 
All right, very cool. Uh, do you have do you have a Twitter out there that you want to give out to the people? Or? Yeah, you can get me uh, at Saber Cruncher, S A B E R Cruncher, and uh, get me any time. Ask me any questions, no problems. All right, folks. Stephen Rothwell, thank you for joining us. And also, make sure you go to sportspredictor.com. Uh, you know, you're gonna get all sorts of great uh, picks packages and you know daily content from all our guys over there. Make sure you follow us on Twitter as well at Predictor HQ. Once again, on Twitter at Predictor HQ. We'll see you next time.